0: Good morning, we'll be reading from 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 1 through 14. For I do not want you to be ignorant of the fact, brothers, that our forefathers were all under the cloud and that they all passed through the sea. They were all baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. They all ate the same spiritual food and drank the same spiritual drink. For they drank from the spiritual rock that accompanied them, and that rock was Christ. Nevertheless, God was not pleased with most of them. Their bodies were scattered over the desert. Now these things occurred as examples to keep us from setting our hearts on evil things as they did. Do not be idolaters as some of them were, as it is written The people sat down to eat and drink and got up to indulge in pagan revelry. We should not commit sexual immorality as some of them did, and in one day, 23,000 of them died. We should not test the Lord as some of them did and were killed by snakes. And do not grumble as some of them did and were killed by the destroying angel. These things happened to them as examples and were written down as warnings for us on whom the fulfillment of the ages has come. So if you think you are standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. No temptation has seized you except what is common to man. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can stand up under it. Therefore, my dear friends, flee, flee from idolatry.
1: Thank you, Greg. Well, good morning. I just wanted to share a quick note before we got on the message this morning. Um, We did have to uh, fire uh, our guitar prophet, uh, Brian Porter, for misleading us with the color of his guitar and choosing the San Francisco 49ers to win the Super Bowl. And obviously he was wrong, and uh, therefore we do not need his services anymore. Thank you very little. Somehow I'll recover that bet money that I did. I was talking with Brian Grant this week. He's known around here as the marathon man. He's quite a runner and... uh, quite manly, he's kind of got the marble man thing going, he's got the cool mustache, and, and he's the marathon man. And he, he gave me some uh, insight about uh, runners on marathons, that there's a group that's called the DNF group, and the DNF group uh, stands for did not finish, <laughs> and it, it is, it's a labeled group. And he was telling me that, you know, there's a few of the runners who are running the race and they sprain an ankle or something happens along the way. The muscles uh, get uh, torn. And so there's legitimate injury. But for most of the DNF group, uh, what happens is they get into the marathon and then they're just exhausted. They can't physically finish the marathon. They have not trained for the marathon, to run this race. And they didn't give any insight into what it would look like to train and to to win the prize, to finish that goal, to get across the goal line. And Paul's going to speak to that this morning. That he doesn't want us to be in the DNF group. That he wants us to experience life in Christ fully, to run the race in such a way as to enjoy the love of Jesus Christ and his leading. Let me just share with you the end of uh, chapter 9. Therefore, I do not run like a man running aimlessly, no purpose. I do not fight like a man beating the air. No, I beat my body to make it my slave, so that after I have preached to others that I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. And let me, just, let me just remind you what disqualified looks like, because it's a scary word for us. I don't think it's speaking about a loss of our salvation. And if you recall from last week, I believe Paul's speaking to us as he's desiring to run the race, and, and he's concerned about being disqualified, that he's thinking about, Us, as followers of Jesus Christ, losing our influence, losing our impact, our our Christian witness, because we're choosing to run the race in such a way as living in our pride. That was what was going on with the Corinthians. They were so confident in their freedoms in Christ that they started to mislead the younger Christians. So says it was causing them to stumble. And Paul's saying, don't don't use your freedoms and use your rights and liberties that move people away that's distant from God and are struggling with that. Live in such a way that your life is being used as as a stepping stone, drawing people to Christ, helping them to step closer into relationship with the Lord rather than a stumbling block, tripping them up along the way. He doesn't want us to lose our impact. Jesus speaks in Revelation. John says, for those who are living a lukewarm lifestyle, for Jesus, he spits that out. He's like, "What is this life all about that I've given you? What are you running towards? Who are you choosing to follow? Is this Christian life just show up on Sundays and it's all nice and good, and the rest of the week, you just live for yourself. There was churches in the Revelation where their lampstand went out. They lost their influence in the community. And Paul's saying, "Oh my goodness." that would be the worst thing in the world that could happen to me as a follower of Jesus Christ. Because I want to partner, I want to join in, I want to live my life out with Jesus Christ, empowered by the Holy Spirit, and I want people to know the love of God. I want them to understand that they can be saved and redeemed from their sin. I want them to experience God's love in their life and, and His joy. And oh, woe to me if I lose my influence because I choose to live in the flesh and in sin. And Paul speaks to this idea and warning us, guiding us, guarding us. He doesn't want the young Corinthians to get caught up in in their lust and in idolatry and in things of seeking after idols. He wants them to stop living in pride and sinning against one another. And so he's going to speak into how do we live life in the power of Christ and living and running in such a way as to win the prize. Let me say one thing before we we get into this a little deeper. I don't know where you're at right now spiritually. You may be feeling really stuck. Stuck in just life. Stuck in sin that you're just going, oh, I keep wrestling with this. You may be feeling that you're trapped and that you can't get out. You might be feeling that you're, you're part of this DNF group and that you'll just stay there. And there's one thing I just want you to know this morning, very clearly, big picture of the morning, that God, because God is faithful, He can help you Find a way out. He can deliver you out of that area of being stuck, of being trapped in sin, of the flesh kind of taking over, and and you're going, Lord, I just can't defeat this. Here's the truth about God. Because He's faithful and because He loves you, He can empower you to defeat that and to have life again. To get off that track that you've stumbled on and start to run again the race, with the love of God. And if you don't know Jesus Christ this morning, I want you to hear something very clearly. You have a God who loves you right where you're at. And He knows. He knows where your sin has taken you. And you're feeling like there's no way in the world you can get out of that. That's why He died on the cross for your sin. And his promise to you is that if you surrender your life to him, that if you believe upon the Lord Jesus, you shall be saved. You shall have life in Christ. He's the only one who can get you out of this trapping, this burden, this weight, this slavery to sin. And so this morning, consider who Jesus is. Hear from his spirit as he speaks to you. And let us run the race together in the joy of the Lord, in life in Christ, having the liberty to love, living in the pleasure of the Father. Paul doesn't want us to miss that. And I hope you don't either. Man, there's so much life we can have in Christ. And so Paul's speaking to the Corinthians and saying, listen, I want to tell you about the saints who've run the race beforehand, who've gone ahead of us. And I want you to see how they lived in God, and I also want you to see where they made choices that were really destructive to them walking and following in Christ, to their spiritual life. And so he's going to show us the blessings of God, and he's going to give us warnings on where not to go so that we can run the race well together. Greg read out of verses 1 through 5, the first part. says, I don't want you to be ignorant of the fact that our fathers, they were under the cloud and they passed through the sea. They were all baptized into Moses. They all ate the same spiritual food. They drank the same spiritual drink. And they drank from the same spiritual rock. And here's something that's really cool, verse 4. And that rock was Christ. The picture that Paul is painting for us is here's all the Israelites coming out of Egypt. And the word that's used over and over again as you become good Bible students is the word all. They were all in this together. God delivered all of them out of Egypt. And he was with them. Don't you know they were under the same spiritual cloud? The image is is of of God's Shekinah glory that was leading them in the desert. That they had received his presence. At night time it would be a, a pillar of fire in their midst directing and guiding them. All of them were delivered out. All of them received redemption. They were bought out of Egypt, out of slavery, and by grace received God's deliverance. All of them. And with that, they received all of God's resources. You see, that's true of us as followers of Jesus Christ. When you feel like there's no way out, God who is faithful... The lover of your souls provides you with all of his resources to get out and to be free from the sin that you're in and to give you life. He's the way out. Depend on his resources. Depend on the power of the Holy Spirit, the paraclete, the one who walks with you, and that's the image of the cloud, the paraclete. He was with them, and it's the beautiful image of God's protection over his people, of God with his people, of God leading his people, all of them. And if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, that is true of what God is doing with you today. I will never leave you nor forsake you, God promises I must go so that my Holy Spirit can be with you and be your comforter and your counselor. I'm the one who gives you truth and life. I'm the one who can help you out of the situation that you feel stuck in. The resurrection power of Jesus Christ has invaded your life. You don't have to stay stuck. You can run this race again. And Paul wants you to experience that life in Christ just like it was with the Shekinah glory in the desert. God is over us. Don't you know all of you have received the resources? And one of the things he says is, you were all baptized into Moses. That's kind of a weird saying, isn't it? You go, what what in the world is that all about? Well, who was Moses? Moses was the one who led his people out of Israel. Moses was the guy who got to hang out with God face-to-face. Face. And so he would be the one who would go and hear from God and then he would come back and he would speak God's words to the people, right? And he was the one who would be the intercessor between God and the people of Israel. And it has that image of, you were baptized into Moses, you, you walk through, that's the going through of the Red Sea that beautiful power of God delivering his people. But it also gives us an image of Moses, the mediator, the one who intercedes. And that's what's true of Christ, right? We have access to the Father because of Jesus Christ, the intercessor, the one who stands between the one who allows us direct access into the Father. When you say, what is the way out? The way out is directly in. Directly into the arms of God. Who says, dear child, come and repent and be forgiven and be cleansed and be washed. My son, Jesus, has paid the price for that sin. You have direct access to me. The way out is going directly in. You can't miss the faithfulness of God in our lives. And he provides that for us. We have access to the Father. All these blessings, I'm guiding you, I'm leading you, I'm loving you, I'm with you. I've given you access unto me so that you can run this race. And all along the journey, there was this manna from heaven and this water from the rock. And that rock was Christ. It's interesting, the people of the Old Testament seem to have a really clear picture that Christ was involved in their lives, even though he had not come as Savior of the world yet. And when you see the word rock in the Old Testament, it's always, not always, it's often a symbol for Christ. He's the one who is our rock that we stand on. He's our firm foundation. Samuel sets up a rock in the desert, calls it Ebenezer. The Lord is my help. It's the idea of Christ as my help. And so be good Bible students and enjoy seeing how God provides His Son, the rock, to be there with the people. And He's with us. And that's just true of our life in Christ today. Christ is our rock. He is the one who brings out springs of living water, right? Oh, dear woman, if you would just drink of me. John chapter 4. You would have springs of living water. You would have life eternally. My love would never end. It just bubbles over beyond anything you can imagine. That's the image that Paul is painting of the desert fathers those who went before us, the saints coming out of Egypt. And God wanted to lead them into the promised land. They had everything of God. But then there's this really challenging, troublesome verse, at verse 5. All of the people are delivered out of Egypt. All of them had God's resource, His blessing, His protection, His love. But, verse 5, God was not well pleased with his people. Remember from last week, running in such a way as to win the prize means that we're seeking the pleasure of the Father. That we long to hear from our Heavenly Father, Well done, my good and faithful servant. And the words of Paul is that God was not well pleased with his people. Now, let me just remind you, coming out of Egypt, there was 600,000 men, the scriptures say to us. So how many people do we know or have an idea were delivered out of Egypt and and God trying to lead them into the promised land? Probably close to 2 million people. living under the protection with all of God's blessings, being moved and directed by his Shekinah glory. Two million people. How many people made it into the promised land? Yeah, give me the peace sign. Two. Two entered into his peace, his rest. Caleb, my son, and Joshua, my other son they're leading me into the promised land. (laughs) Two who trusted God. Two who were living in a way that was running the race that said, God, we're sold out for you. Our life is yours. Not, Not running a race that I'm just beating the air. I have no direction. Those that chose not to trust God The scriptures say they were laid out in the sand. Basically, they missed the the greatest joy of all. They died in the desert, and they didn't get to experience the fullness of God in his promised land. That he, He had all of that for them. He wanted them to run in such a way as to receive all of that. And they chose to live for self and they chose to get caught up in sin and to say, my life is about me. And so they never got to receive and enter into the promised land. God's peace, his joy, his life. Paul doesn't want us to miss that. Run in such a way as to win the prize. And so he gives us some warnings, Paul does, into how to live life. It, it reminds me of parents who are speaking to their, their freshmen in college or about to go off to college. And they sit down with their son or daughter and they say, listen, I want you to understand something. When mom and dad were in college, we got caught up in some things. And we want to share with you some things that we did that, you know what, they caused a lot of damage to us. And we just want to, we want to share with you so that you won't go down that same path because, trust me, it, it can be really hurtful to your life if you follow what we did. And that's what Paul is doing. Here's those who've gone before you. And I want to use these examples so that you understand this path that they took is destructive to your spiritual life. And creates distance between you and your loving Lord. And you miss out on the joy in the life of Christ. And you you can lose your spiritual influence on the world being used in God's kingdom work. And he doesn't want you to miss that. And so let me give you some warnings of what was going on. So do not fall into idolatry, he says. Like... The fathers before us. And what he's speaking of is the scene that was at the foot of Mount Sinai. So they're all hanging out together. And then Moses goes up to go be with God. He's gone 40 days and 40 nights. Now, during this time, the Israelites, they're getting a little impatient. And that is true of us often, isn't it? God, we're tired of waiting for your direction and your leading. We're tired, you know, we've been putting on this prayer, we're just tired of waiting. And so we're going to live in our own knowledge and understanding and we're going to do our own deal because we don't want to wait upon you anymore. And we're in this desert and we're not real thrilled about it. So here's what starts to happen. They say, let's throw a great feast. And they start to have this great feast. There's nothing wrong with having a great banquet, a great feast. And they start to to enjoy that together. And then all of a sudden, all of a sudden somebody comes up with the idea of, hey, let's let's have a little dance. Pagan revelry. They rose up and started to dance. There's nothing wrong with dancing. Scriptures have beautiful pictures of dancing before the Lord. But what happened was, that started to get out of control. People started to get carried away in their dancing. I got a, I got an image of this Friday night at the, at the father daughter dance. Now I want you to know something. That dance, by the way, dads, if you haven't had a chance to take your daughters, oh my gosh, it's. It's the most beautiful thing. All these fathers and daughters and enjoying each other and, and loving each other. And we had one dad who was in Asia, and he made sure he made his flights so he could be here with his daughter to spend the evening with her and treat her like a princess. It was beautiful. And so they're all on this floor. I mean, this room was packed, packed with just the love of God. It was gorgeous. And there were everybody dancing out here, but... The truth is, some people got carried away. Brad Carr, I won't mention his name. But Brad was doing a dance like I've never seen. You ever watch Seinfeld and when Elaine tries to dance? It's kind of that awkward deal. And Brad was doing something with... It was, I think, a mix between the chicken dance and the Macarena, but all at one time. And it was just troubling. (laughs) And this is what was happening at the base of Mount Sinai. (laughs) This really disturbing dance, and it was getting carried away. And then in the middle of the dancing, somebody comes up with this idea of, hey, let's go ahead and make a golden calf and we'll worship it because there's nothing else to do and we'll end up in idolatry worshiping this golden cow. And Paul's saying, take heed. Be careful. Do you see what happens? Here you are following God and how quickly, how quickly we're drawn in because we don't want to wait upon God and, and wait upon His provision for us and His life for us. And so we seek other things. I need to find my fulfillment in other things. I need to receive all of my, my life from an idol that will, that will give me value and meaning to life. How quickly the Israelites got there. Aaron the priest... He's supposed to be the guy after God. Aaron, the priest, says, well, the, the cow just kind of jumped out of the fire at us. I mean, literally, that's what he says. Like, it just showed up out of the fire. Paul says, oh, be careful. For the Corinthian church, I think, I think their idol became their intelligence, their, their knowledge that puffs up. They became very prideful in their freedoms, and weren't using their liberty to love. And they missed out on helping people with a stepping stone closer to Christ. They were causing hindrance to people knowing Jesus more. Warnings, because we quickly get there, and sometimes we don't even know we're there. There's an old story about Eskimos and how they would kill wolves. And they would take a a knife, And they would coat it with blood and let it freeze. And then they put another coating of blood and let it freeze on top so you had a popsicle of blood over the knife. And they would stick it in the snow. And a wolf would come by and get a little bit of the scent of the blood. And they would start to lick it. And they would get that taste in their mouth of the blood. And their tongue would become numb. And then they'd keep licking. And sooner or later, they finally broke through the ice. But they were ravenous for the taste of the blood. And they didn't even know that they were bleeding to death. And Paul's warning against that. When we choose to enter in to these destructive patterns, when we, when we start to, to go after all these other things other than God and we start to sin and next thing you know, we get that taste in our mouth and yet spiritually, and you guys have experienced this, when you're caught in sin, you're stuck there, you're spiritually just start to die and you become very distant from God and if you're at that place right now, Again, God, who is faithful, has provided a way out. And he's saying, come and receive the life. It's my son who died and bled his blood for you. So that you won't bleed out. Receive his forgiveness. Repent before the Lord. Because these things take you down a path you never wanted to go. That's what our sin does to us. And when we choose to live in the flesh, Paul's warning. He's saying, I want you to have eyes. I want you to be aware. I want you to to be like a, a forest person who's up above the trees watching for the forest fire. A ranger who's saying, Warning, these are coming. Be aware. Don't be idolaters caught in this. Then he goes on, he says, I don't want you to be caught up in sexual immorality that it would take over and and start to run your life. And he's referring to Numbers 25. The the Israelites, as they're in the desert, they they get caught up with the Midianite women and the Moabite women, and they start to have sexual relations with them, and a plague breaks out through the camp. And it's not until Phinehas, who is the the grandson of Aaron, the priest, Phinehas comes in on a couple engaging in sexual relations, and he takes a spear and puts it right through them. And that ends the plague in the camp. Killed thousands. And Paul's saying, I want to understand something. It's so easy for you to get caught up in this. We live in a culture today I think this is probably one of the biggest areas where we're running the race, we're wanting to live for Christ, we're wanting to seek the pleasure of the Father, and man, these hurdles of sexual immorality keep tripping us up on the way. And our flesh and the enemy and the world is saying, go for it. Go for it. I mean, the Super Bowl is a prime example. My goodness, those commercials you just go how do we how do we live with pure thoughts and how do we how do we live in a way that pleases God when we 've got all of this coming at us? The Corinthian church, quite honestly, they had it even more. It was just normal practice go in and have sex with a temple prostitute, and so they got that every day. The guys coming off the ships, they were painted footsteps going right up to the temple of prostitution. I just just want to tell you, men and women, if you're caught in this right now, this area of sexual immorality, and especially the areas of pornography, because it's so pervasive, today's the day. Today's the day. To come before your Lord and say, God, help me. I can't get out of this. I need your power, Christ, to deliver me from this because it's killing me. It's killing me. I'm bleeding out. And would you allow the Holy Spirit to invade your life right now? God is faithful and he will provide a way out to just hitting the delete button when it says, do you want to enter in, to sometimes the way out, gang, seriously, the only way out is take that dang computer and throw it out the window. God is faithful. He wants you to get up and keep running this race. And we fall into the trap that this type of sex over here will fulfill me, and you know, you know, it's nothing but death. God's provided a way out. Don't be caught up in idols and sexual immorality and, and verse 9, claiming God basically is unfaithful. Putting the Lord to the test. It's, it's saying this, God, you know what? You brought us into Egypt. You put me in this crummy place. How dare you? God, you're obviously not powerful. God, you obviously can't do anything about this. God... Who are you to put me here in this life of mine? That's a dangerous place to be with God. That's God speaking to Job and saying, Job, who the heck do you think you are to talk to me this way? And basically speak absolute lies about who I am. I'm the absolute opposite of unfaithful. I'm faithful, and I'm with you. And don't think I'm your buddy here. You don't come to me and lay this whole thing on me. You listen in obedience and receive my love, because I will deliver you out of this. The people were caught up blaming God. God's faithful to deliver you from your situation, from your temptings that are going on, your testings that you're facing, your struggles. And verse 10 says they were caught up in murmuring and grumbling. It's Numbers 26 where Korah and Dathan, they thought they they were better leaders than Moses and they were stirring up the camp and saying, God, you obviously picked the wrong guy. Again, you don't know what you're doing and then we're going to cause division in the camp. And the scriptures say the ground opened up and they fell in and were swallowed up and fire consumed them. Paul, like a loving mother and father, is giving warnings about those who've gone before and how this path, like those in Israel, can be so destructive to our lives, to our spiritual lives and that God has provided a way out. And he wants us to run the race. And so he gives us images. He says, place yourself here. Don't think for a second that you can stand strong. Not for one moment. Don't think that I've got it all figured out. Thank God I am such an amazing Christian. And let me use my Christian pride to tell you what a, what a Christian you are, which isn't very good. don't for one second think that you're standing strong. That's when we're most vulnerable. Wait a second, I got my flu shot last year. should be covered. No, comes in strong. We have the world speaking against us. We have the enemy who is raging against us. We have our flesh that we're just so drawn to and we need to be satisfied and everything. And for one second, we think that we are firm. We get hit. And so I want to give you an idea, Paul says. Don't be there and and watch these warnings because here's the good news. And this is the big picture of the morning. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted, tested, tested, beyond your strength, but with the temptation, and guess what? There's going to be lots of temptations. With it, he will provide a way of escape for you. And you will be able to endure it, to be delivered from it. That's the promises of God who is faithful. The one thing I want you to realize in that verse 13 and 14 There is nothing new under the sun. We're going through this race together. And, and that's one thing I want you to realize very clearly. You know, we're all running Roby Creek, and Roby Creek is full of rocks, and there's crevices, and, and you trip, and you stumble along the way. We're running this race together. And it, you need to understand something. It's especially as we run this race that we need one another, the body of Christ. Not to be here and to say, how dare you fall on this race? But to be one, let's say, again, you're, you're struggling with pornography. To be, to be a brother and to come alongside and say, hey, you know what, man? God has worked with me on this. And he's delivered me. I was stuck there, too, just like you were. And God has delivered me. And I want to lift you up. And let's run this race together. Because God has a lot of life for us in Him. And let's run in a way that that we're winning the prize. And together we're, we're involved in God's kingdom work. Let's not be ones who sit there in judgment. How dare you? You know what? Sometimes the only way out may be through you. That God wants to use your life to deliver a brother or sister who's stuck. And because God is faithful, he's provided you to come alongside like the Holy Spirit and to offer life. And so ask the Lord, Lord, who do you want me to come alongside? Because you may be the way out for them. There's warnings, guardings. Paul comes in and says, oh, let's run together in such a way as to win this prize. Let's not live with what the saints of old did, but now let's live in the joy and the freedom and the life in Christ and the power of him. God is faithful. God is faithful. Let's pray. Father, I I praise you for your faithfulness and I thank you for your love for us that you come into our lives and help us run this race. And Father, I just pray for us as a body of Christ this morning, Cole Community Church. Lord Jesus, forgive us. Forgive us when we try to run this race on our own. Forgive us for our sin, our sin of pride when we fall into idolatry or sexual immorality, the things that were mentioned this morning. Lord, cleanse us. We want to run this race with you. We want to run with purpose. And Father, we want our lives, as we run this race, we want you to be glorified in our lives. Forgive us for running, again, in our own strength, for running with no direction. Thank you for cleansing us, dear Jesus. We love you and we thank you for loving us. In your precious name, amen.